Hello and welcome and thank you for joining me. Today is July the 18th of 2016, Monday morning, and I just pray that you have a, a glorious day ahead. Uh, it's going to be a warm one here in western Kentucky. We're going to be in an, uh, in the summer heat all week long, uh, up in the 90s plus. So, And the heat in indexes, they're talking about uh, 100 so it's going to be a warm one, and if you happen to be in an area where the temperature is going to be rather high, you know, just remember to take care of yourself you know, by drinking plenty of fluids and uh, wear reflective clothing. You know, just just be safe, just be safe. And Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day, and we just thank you for your blessings, dear Lord. And as um, this world around us just continues to... Uh, uh, go its course, Lord. We just pray that we as believers, Lord, just make that connection with you even stronger and that we reach out and help our fellow man where you direct us to to do uh, what needs to be done. And Lord, we just pray that you just continue to, to watch over this nation, dear Lord. Just bring us to our knees in repentance, dear Heavenly Father. Uh, protect those that are, are running this country, dear Heavenly Father, and for those that are about to come up upon wanting to uh, run this country, Lord, that uh, we as a people select the wisest choice under your guidance is my prayer. And we just give you all the praise in your Son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, today's session is new wine and new wineskins beyond a religion of rules. And the memory verse is, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that's Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. As the heart of it all, at the heart of it all today, is too often our religious guides and experts prove to be false and hypocritical, and too often religion becomes a matter of rules and not love. And Jesus warned his disciples against such leaders in teaching and promised them a better way in which they could find rest for their souls. Perhaps one of the reason more people do not enjoy reading history is that it is mostly a sad story, and particularly sad is what a sorry lot mankind's leaders and experts have proved to be. This was true in Jesus' day, where as we saw in the last chapter, he had some very harsh words for the blind and hypocritical religious leaders of his people. We continue with that theme in this chapter as we look at how Jesus saw his mission as being to fulfill the religion of the Jews and to offer the kind of spiritual comfort that the religion of rules and rituals don't provide. And the key term for today is fulfill. Jesus announces that his life and teaching fulfill the Old Testament. They give foundation to, or sum up, or uphold, or even rejuvenate. Fulfill also means complete, accomplish, and even clarify. He understands the deep truths of the Old Testament that the rabbis and the Pharisees of his day could not grasp. Broadcasting the Whispers B. 
Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will be not disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. And that's Luke chapter 12, verse 1 and 3. Luke here speaks to a crowd of many thousands listening to Jesus. The Greek word here is myris, M-Y-R-I-A-S, the root of our word mirrored, and meant literally 10,000. The crowd was so immense that the people were trampling on each other. We see that a noted teacher was a bit of a celebrity in that day, that he could attract crowds that today we could associate with rock stars and famous athletes. We can't assume they would have all been seeking to draw nearer to God, for they were no doubt many who were purely curious who were literally going along with the crowd. Even so, the greater the crowds, the greater the number of the people who could hear Jesus and have a chance to respond to his words. To this crowd, Jesus offered a warning against the hypocrisy of the religious people of that day, the Pharisees. Jesus was not the first Jewish teacher to use leaven figuratively to refer to spreading moral corruption. Formation symbolized purifying, rotting, and technically that is what it is, even if it is produced two of the essentials of the table, both bread and wine. Jews were not the only ones to view leavening as a symbol of corruption and decay. In Rome, the high priest of Jupiter was forbidden to touch leavening. The people of the ancient times had no concept of germs and viruses as sources of disease, so the heaven metaphor was the best thing available to symbolize something slowly and gradually causing corruption. In our own day, we might use the metaphor of bacterial infection growing and spreading through the body. But in fact, the closest metaphor in our time is the slippery slope. Once something evil is accepted, the person inevitably slides into an even worse state or worse behaviors. To be on the ground, guard, to be on the guard against a lot of hypocrisy, we ought to take pains to guard against just a little. Paul must have had Jesus saying in the mind when he wrote to Corinthians, August. Uh, how they were tolerating a flagrantly immoral man in their fellowship, even boasting about their broad-mindedness. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? And that's 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6. Just a small amount of wickedness, of hypocrisy, would inevitably spread and so he commanded the people to get rid of the yeast of malice and wickedness. In warning people about leavening of hypocrisy, Jesus assures them 
that eventually all hypocrisy will be unmasked. A little cultural insight here. Inner rooms. When Jesus spoke of what was whispered in inner rooms, he meant rooms in the interior of the house with no windows or outside walls. Some of the homes of that time were packed of hard, packed clay and could literally be broken into, or rather dug into. For that reason, home valuables were usually stored in an inner room for safekeeping. Jesus is referring to the inner room here as a way of saying that even the most secretive and safe place of the home, there is no word spoken that God does not hear. In time, everything will be exposed. All hypocrites will be seen for what they are. Even what is whispered will be heard at last. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. All the Jews of Jesus' day believed this, especially the devout Pharisees, and yet they consistently behaved as if God did not know their true selves. This is, of course, one of the great spiritual holes in the Pharisees' religion and, and in our own. And in our own. We claim to believe in the all-powerful, all-knowing God, yet our behavior contradicts our beliefs. We believe as if God beholds the religious acts we do in public, yet we seem to think he is blind and deaf when we do shameful things in private. In this world that God made and governs the phrase, no one is looking, is meaningless. There is a course of flip side to things being done or said secretly. God knows not only our evil deeds and words, but the good ones as well. In the words of Paul, God in the words of Paul, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. And that's First Timothy chapter 5, verse 25. If the world is blind to hypocrisy of the supposedly good people, it is also blind to the many good deeds done quietly by the nobodies. I never knew you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. And that's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 23. Jesus is referring here to false teachers. He literally calls these people those working lawlessness, meaning those in rebellion against God. The false teachers in Acts and in the epistles were often doing what they did in the name of Jesus, but they were leading many astray. Wearing the label Christian or religious or spiritual may, few, may fool human beings but not God. The day of reckoning will come. He also is speaking against self-deceivers, the many who go through the notions of religion, but 
whose hearts are not right. It was an old and familiar phenomenon one of the prophets knew well. The Lord says, These people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. And that's Isaiah chapter 29, verse 13. Religious that goes only lip deep is no religion at all. All, all, and even those who spend a lifetime in religious activity can miss the mark. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing. And that's First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 2. In Luke's version of the passage, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? And that's Luke chapter 6, verse, 30, verse 46. That is the question that divides truth, faith from false. We cannot just say we are devoured or we are devoted to God when our behavior says otherwise. The only praise that matters. I do not accept praise from men. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? And that's John chapter 5, verse 41 and 44, or through 44. Jesus has told his critics, the supposedly religious people, that they search the scriptures in order to find eternal life, yet they ignore the opportunity for eternal life when presented to them in a living man, Jesus himself. Of course, Jesus understood that their endless discussion of the scripture had nothing to do with seeking eternal life. Rather, for so many of them, the study of the scriptures had been turned into an intellectual game, a pastime, which is why so many of the rabbis envisioned heaven as a sort of eternal debating club, men trying to impress others with their penetrating insights into the law. This view of scripture explains the intense snobbery with which they viewed the common people. It was not that the common people were sinful, but rather that they were not learned or clever. But unlike the Pharisees and rabbis, Jesus not come to the earth to be praised for his wisdom. He is here to save. The desire for human praise and glory is often the greatest barrier to finding approval from the only one who matters, God. Paul, a former Pharisee, understood intimately this desire for praise from one fellow's man. After his conversion, he emphasized again and again the importance of desiring the praise only of God. Judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and he will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from God. And that's 1 Corinthians verse 4, chapter 5. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else, 
And that's 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6. Now, did you know an interesting use of this passage was used by George Fox, founder of the Society of the Friends, or Quakers, in England in the 1600s? Fox and the Quakers aroused a great deal of hostility because they would not bow or tip their hats to their social superiors. In this fascinating journal, Fox wrote that the desire for worldly honor was a symptom of man's sin, the alienation from God, and he refused to do hat honor on the basis of John chapter 5, verse 44. How can ye believe which receive honor one of another, and seek not the honor that cometh from God only. Quakers were to follow Christ, who had said, I receive not honor from men, perceived as disrespectful and disruptive of the social order. Many Quakers were beaten or sent to prison. Favoring the False Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for that is how their fathers treated the false prophets. And that's Luke chapter 6, verse 26. Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Has to be one of the most jarring statements Jesus ever made. This is the flip side of the beatitude about the blessedness of being hated and denounced as true prophets were. In this sinful world, a good reputation can conceal a bad character, but God knows all hearts. A true prophet's mission is to bring the people back to God, and more often than not, this involves pointing out people's sins. This has never been a popular message, so inevitably the prophets were persecuted. The bringers of bad news were often killed for their trouble, even if their predictions of disaster were fulfilled. On the other hand, those who say everything is all right will always find an appreciative audience. The Old Testament describes these false prophets as those who dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace, and that's Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 14. Yet we will never hear these false prophets being punished when their visions of a bright future do not come to pass. Jesus loved all mankind, but he had no illusions about man. Human beings are sinful, which is why they needed saving, and sadly they often crucify those sent to save them. They needed true prophets, but they prefer the false. In the words of Isaiah, they say to the seers, See no more visions, and to the prophets, Give us no more visions of what is right. Tell us pleasant things, prophesize illusions. And that's chapter 30, verse 10. Micah used an even more jarring image. If a liar and a deceiver comes and says, I will prophesy for you plenty of wine and beer, he would be just the prophet for the people. And that's chapter 2, verse 11. 
In a sense, people get the prophecy they desire. The false prophets are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. And that's First John chapter 4, verse 5. As we have seen already, the Pharisees and the scribes, teachers of the laws, were highly regarded by Jews of Jesus' day. They were false prophets in the sense that they set people the bad example of making religion look like a matter of external things, tithing, observing the Sabbath, fasting, washing their hands frequently, avoiding contact with Gentiles and sinners. They established such rules, and they impressed the mass of people by keeping the rules faithfully. Like all false prophets, they generated praise from men, but disapproval from God. Wolves and fruitless trees. Watch out for fake prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And that's Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 and 20. All familiar phrase, wolf in sheep's clothing, is based on this passage, but it is often misunderstood to mean that a wolf is trying to pass itself off as a sheep. In fact, the sheep's clothing referred to what the typical shepherd wore, a garment of sheepskin with a fleece on the outside. The wolf in sheep's clothing was masquerading as a shepherd, not a sheep. Prophets and teachers are often depicted as spiritual shepherds of the people, but one of the greatest themes of the Bible is that the shepherds were often false and exploitable instead of faithful and caring. These words follow Jesus' teaching into the Sermon of the Mount about the narrow way to heaven. A good teacher or prophet helps us along the way, that narrow way, and all of us can use guidance, but the false prophets lead us astray. The real test of people is their lives, their fruits, not their words. If a man looks and sounds like a prophet, we must judge by the fruits he produce. If he's looking out for himself, not the good of others, eventually it will come to light. The true prophet puts forth God, not himself. In the letters Paul, Peter, and John, we already see the forms that false teaching takes. The Jews who insist on adhering to the law, including the command to be circumcised, the libertarians who teach that since God forgives, we may sin without constraint. The rule makers with their new mandates about diet, celibacy, etc. While the libertarians are definitely a problem, the more pressing problem was that the Pharisee mentality kept sneaking back into the Christianity. Many of the Jews who became Christians taught that 
all the old laws still had to be followed, and in the mean, and even many of the pagans who became Christians showed this tendency to set up rules about foods to avoid and other trifling matters. Again and again, Paul and the other apostles had to remind Christians not to let themselves become slaves to a religion of rules. Since you died with Christ and basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? And that's Colossians verse or chapter 2, verse 20. Another uh, did you know. When the Bible was translated into Indonesia, the translators knew the people were not familiar with either sheep or wolves. So to serve about wolves and sheep clothing was rendered crocodiles in human form. Teachers, not role models. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must obey them and do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. And that's Matthew chapter 23, verse 1 and 3. Moses' seat here means Moses' position. The teacher of the law and the Pharisees saw themselves as the correct interpreters of the law Moses gave to Israel. When Jesus says, obey them, he means that when they preach the true word of God, we must pay heed to it. The word is true, even if as the preachers are bad examples. Believers must do what is right regardless of whether their teachers are hypocrites. Nowhere does Jesus actually tell people to ignore the scribes' teaching. The notion that people who do not practice what they peach, preach is inevitable, or is invalidated. What they preach is wrong, as Jesus' words here indicate. Truth is truth, regardless of who speaks it. Jesus had very harsh things to say about the teachers and the Pharisees, but when they taught the truths of the divine law of the God gave to Moses, they were doing a good thing, even if them themselves did not keep the rules. If any religion or philosophy depend on having teachers and preachers who were consistent and who never sinned, the human race would be in big trouble. The fact is, religion which is unattainable idea gives a man his deeper satisfaction. People are not to be blamed for the not teaching their ideals, but only for not teaching after them to the limit of their ability. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were failures, but so is everyone else who ever tried to live by the high spiritual and moral code. Still, as Jesus' words indicate, preaching a lofty, a lofty idea and trying as hard as we can to practice it is the goal. When we fail, as we inevitably do, we keep trying, and we're thankful that Jesus is the Savior as well as Teacher, the New Testament message that we are saved by grace of God, not by our works, is a great comfort. The Jews of Jesus' day did not 
in theory believe in salvation by works. They thought that they were saved by being Jews, which meant only uh, Jews were excluded from heaven. The, the apostate Jews. The purpose in keeping the commandments was not to score points with God and earn heaven, but to show him gratitude for being Israel's savior. Essentially, the same idea that the Apostle Paul took over for Christianity, except that Paul understood how many any religion would de degenerate into a ledger block religion and how people could practice religion for the eyes of their fellow men and not for the gratitude of God. Well, I'm going to end here and uh, we will pick up uh, with uh, new wine and new wineskins on, uh, on Wednesday. Heavenly Father, I just give thanks uh, once again, you know, that I'm able to share these words, uh, how effective or ineffective I may be. I, I just, there's just words that I share, dear Lord, and hope and pray that those that know you, Heavenly Father, will seek to generate a deeper relationship with you. And for those that don't, that they'll be seeking more to know more of you. And Lord, I just thank you for all your blessings. And I just pray that you just guide me through this day, dear Heavenly Father. Uh, guide us all. Give us a safe journey to and from work and bless those things which are done. And I give you all the praise in your Son Jesus' name. Amen.